talking. Yeah. Hello, welcome to Fallout Podcast, episode 99, aka Triple Figures. It's a futile fall showdown. All 525 songs going H to H. We are in round two. 256 songs in the mix. It's an ultimate shakedown split into two eras, 77 to 93, 94 to 2017. Thank you to Annotated Fall Few Track Record, Oh Brother, Puritans, Falling Fives, Church of the Fallen, All Them What Fall. Tonight, we have Reckoning up against something else, but it's going for proper beat up with no questions asked. The Ballad of J Drummer. Then we have Carrie Grant's Wedding. Up against Curious Orange. And finally, Tom Raggy Raggy up against Powder Keg. It's easy. Don't even have to bother. It writes itself. Can we just Joined... do it now? We could do it for 30 seconds now. Indeed. Joined by Pip Billy William Rugby. The evil that you spark off is disguised as basic truth. Well, there may be a nugget of wisdom in that. Ooh, well, nugget. Wow. Mm. Yes, like the psychedelic compilation from the 1960s. <laughs> Of rarities. <laughs> and Lord Sage Temple, slaughterer of innocence. How are you, Ezra? Very well and very slaughtery. Yes, and stuck up there in the sweet Nagano hills of snow. It's good to have you back. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, this is the first, fan. I think this is the first time all four of us have ever been in the room together. Um, it is. <laughs> and also Alistair. <laughs> Aspinall, aka Pemberton S. Walker, show us your sticks. Which ones? And tiny Marky, Tim Twatwa. Is he joining us? Uh, yes, he has. Brilliant. I'm sure he loved Tom Raggy Raggy. It's his and favorite. I, he's actually I, he's put it down to go through all the wear. <laughs> he's calling he's it. He's calling it. Exactly. And I'm Treebeards O'Shaughnessy. Take me back. I can't get the buzz. Um, all right, then, because we don't have a guest, or we may or may not have a guest, who knows? The world is a mysterious place. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's futures and past, and you're up, Philip Rigby. What have you brought to the table? Well, I got nominated to do that the famous compilation, Nuggets, which uh, I'm sure we all know and love. I was thinking, actually, when I first came across this, and I think I first came across Nuggets via... Um, a rip-off compilation called Pebbles. Mm. And I think that the Alistair Aspinall actually gave me a Pebbles CD for one of my birthdays, which is like when I first came across these kind of compilations. But Nuggets is Nuggets is the mother of them all, isn't it? It's the kind of the one that started it. And the story is um, that this idea came from Lenny Kay's record collection, Lenny Kay being Patti Smith's guitarist in the early 70s who apparently had quite a phenomenal record collection and he was quite partial to rarities and hits that were perhaps a bit more obscure and that. And the, the, the legend is that Jack Altman, who set up Electra Records, was was with him in his apartment or whatever and he was playing him some of these records and they came up with this idea of putting this compilation together of obscure psychedelia from the uh, mid to late 60s. Um, so I thought to start us off, should we should we play one of the uh, one of the psychedelic tunes off the first side? The first the first track actually that kicks us off on that is um, "I Had Too Much to Dream Last Night" by the Electric Prunes. Yes, please. So let's have a little bit of that to get us get our psychedelia going. <laughs> Thank you. 
touched your golden hair and tasted your perfume. Your eyes were filled with love the way they used to be. Your gentle hand reached out to comfort me. Starting off though with the electric prunes, I must admit my the stuff I like of the electric prunes is that little bit lighter stuff, the David Axelrod and Holier there and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, <clears throat> so we're on safe ground. We the the album Nuggets psychedelic hits. Uh, oh, sorry, original artifacts from the first psychedelic era, sixty-five to sixty-eight. This comes out in nine seventy-two. So, but the reality is that as soon as we get past the electric prunes, the music sort of changes gear, really. And what we have is a lot of R and B and what I call white soul music, really. Um, and some of them are more obscure than others, but none of them are that obscure, to be absolutely honest with you. Um, if I just get the I should have had this ready, but the uh, Wikipedia page up where it tells you exactly where these uh, tracks charted. And so the Electric Prunes went in at number 11, not exactly that obscure. The next track, The Dirty Waters by Sandals, <laughs> is at number 11 as well. Then a number 30 hit, a number 20 hit, a cover version of Respect um it gets in the which didn't chart which is probably the most obscure thing on it and everything else although some of it's in the hundreds most of it is top 40 top 20 stuff um so not that obscure but having said that some great tunes that uh that have become legendary because they're on this album so I'm gonna the next track I'm gonna put on is um as tempting as it is to put the seeds on. Um I'm gonna put the castaways on because just because I really like this track. So, and the vast majority of tracks on the album are like that. They're sort of like garage uh, guitar uh, type stuff. So, um, and I guess the other thing to just kind of note is just how many spin-off albums this generated. There was absolutely hundreds of them, isn't there? These Back From The Dead kind of uh, record compilations, which, which I have got a stack of. Uh, on vinyl because for for these are a godsend for DJs these uh, these types of records so that's that's what I absolutely loved about them. Any yeah. other thoughts before I play another tune? It's just great stuff. I mean, there's there is not a direct connection to the fall. Like they didn't cover Seeds. any of these tracks. Yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely an influence. I mean, in all of this, like you, I've heard Paul Hanley, I think, talk about it as well. And I think. If I'm not mistaken, he cited basically that Kenny Everett and the Nuggets as like two foundational kind of like texts for the fall. And I think that makes a lot of sense. 
probably not actually what he said, but <laughs> it makes a lot of sense <laughs> that that Kenny Everett record and this Nuggets compilation that gets you Equals a good ball. I guess you're a good <laughs> chunk of the way down the line. But yeah, I mean, fantastic chains, absolutely. And then I I first came across it from the the reissue, which was 98, I think. I mean, I knew about it, but I think that... The, so they did um, a four-box, a four-CD box set, which expanded the original um, double album to kind of like 100 tracks. And that did have a, um, a lot of... Yeah, it's got... I'm just having a look at the thing now. It's got Psycho by the Sonics on there, and it's got uh, um, Journey to the Center of the Mind by the Amboy Dukes, and 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 all of those. I mean, it's it's brilliant. It, yeah, if if for whatever reason anybody was listening to this and they didn't have a good understanding of garage rock and the the stuff, both predating and influenced by the the British invasion, as it's called. Um, then you can do no worse than starting with the nougats. Absolutely. Al, what's your favourite tune on here? You're on mute, mate. didn't realise. I, I think that you played, I played good, but I mean, the, the Electric Prunes one, that was on the Easy Rider soundtrack as well. Um, so that's going back a bit. Uh, but yeah, the uh, Castaways, that's a classic. Um, but yeah, I've got, I've got the CD thing, so it's, it's a bit... I don't really listen to CDs. <laughs> So I can't remember what's on it. Well, to finish this off, I'm going to play my favourite tune off here. But before I do that, Ezra, what's what's your take on the Nuggets? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's fucking great. I've never actually listened to Nuggets itself. However, um, I think by the time I found out about it, I was already quite into garage rock. Yeah. And I felt like I'd be repeating a lot of stuff that I had if I bought it. Although looking at the track listing, which I never did, there is a few tracks which I've not got. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I mean, the other nice thing is that my wife, uh, it turns out she's got Pebbles, a few of the Pebbles records, a lot of the Toenails records, a few of the Lichen records, and all them other kind of odd um, things that you find under things, uh, compilations of garage rock names, of compilations of garage rock albums, the gravels oh, and the chippings, the gravels, yeah, 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 the crazy favorites. Yeah, um, I recommend like the, the series, like uh, Phil made reference to it, but it's uh, back from the grave. Uh, yeah, There's yeah. lots of them; those are really good. And, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Purple Kniff Show, uh, which is a deluxe interior like Radio Cramps thing. And uh, if you get more into the punky stuff, the Killed by Death um, series, which was like loads of uh, really underground garage, well, not garage, just punk stuff. Very good. I mean, it also set us off. Uh, it was like, I got into to a bit of punk stuff, obviously, because, you know, I, I was into Nirvana and that back in the day, and I liked it. But then I discovered garage rock, and I was just like, this is far superior to, to all punk, pretty much, because it's just got that nice idiot savant kind of energy to it and there's no scene so you know they don't feel like they're bound by any kind of rules or any yeah. kind of like fashion or statement or whatever and you've just got all these lunatics pushing in different directions and oh totally i think that, all fantastic. that's you what get that, you do get that with the punk scene though where you've got people pushing in different directions or else you won't get it yeah to be fair yeah but it also, you know, partly because of the media that picked up on it at the time, it did solidify into yeah, that's the media's fault. They pick up on just like certain things and stick with it and push 
that and people just go, oh yeah, well that's what it is. Where you know, not necessarily. That's just like a cliched version. Yep, yep. So to close it up, then I'm gonna play my favorite track off the Nuggets, which is one of the, which is an obscure one and is just totally white man's soul, but is Don't Look Back by the Remains, which I just think cracking tune. You both made your bed and now you're gonna have to sleep there. Old man blues is going to try to find you everywhere. Well, you better not look now, or he'll catch you. You gotta keep running, running till the end of time. Very sweet indeed. Um, yeah. It would be a beautiful evening to spend with the Nuggets, and indeed I did a little bit of that this week. So uh, why Ooh, not? And a special shout-out to the sequel, the, the Nuggets 2, the British one. That is really good. I really enjoyed that. That's the only thing. I was going to say one thing it did do, once they kind of hit the bottom of the barrel of the Pacific Northwest, you know, the uh, the garagey sound, they did start to do some really sweet ones of garage stuff from around the world. And uh, I had some Japanese stuff that was called GS Sound. Um, and... Um, or the group Riders, sounds. What a band. Exactly. And uh, yeah, so, yeah. It's in it. It, it is. You can get, um, you can go down that rabbit hole forever, but we digress and let us get into the main event. So, we are up against, we have Reckoning off Middle Class Revolt up against uh, the ballad of J Drummer off Light User Syndrome. Let's have a listen to The Reckoning. is customary even though you've rabbited on a lot already we're coming to you philip the reckoning the reckoning well what a place to start it's uh, a bit of a contentious album this one isn't it in terms of its hit rate so far but this is for my money the best tune on the album uh, i think it's 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 really quite beautiful i played the peel version though mm. um just because i like I I think the record version is better musically, but I love how forlorn Mez sounds on the Peel version. It's like the the great thing about the recorded version is that it's it's a really great slice of a broken heart singing about a broken heart. It's like the end of a relationship, and it's like it's about as magnanimous as it can be. But it's there's there's hurt in the words and the and the the repeating chord sh- shift, which is really beautiful, but doesn't change all the way through the song. Is just like it's like he's just drifting along, isn't it? And can't really see which direction he's supposed to be going. And then it echoes in the words, I'm just wandering around with the map and all that kind of thing, wandering around Europe. But on the Peel version, he sounds like he's at the bar drunk talking to it's somebody leathered. about this. Rel- it's like, it's all over. It's not going to be any good ever again. I'll never be happy again. And it's like, I, I just, it's, it's so bittersweet that uh, I, I just had to play that one. I think that, um, 
but the the recorded version is is a is a better version i think from a musical point of view because it's got this really lovely arrangement of the arpeggiated guitars it's got and it took me a while to work out what was going and it's this thing where they start off the phrase and the guitar comes in on the fourth beat of the first bar and that's what gives it this kind of oh it's just a little bit off kilter that and a bit sort of swirly in the sound and it's like one of those montages where the man's going through and all you see are the pub signs coming up around the back of the bar in neon lights and he's getting drunker and drunker and um i i think it's a really magical tune off a very half-assed album um I I agree. I think it's the sweetest tune on there. And it's one of Craig's highlights. And he wasn't long for the band. He, you know, he'd done his he was out within the next year or so. Um Ezra Ezra, what do you make of the reckoning? Oh yeah, it's dead good. It's dead good, eh? And you know, I was one th- one thing I noticed today, I was listening to it, and as you do when you listen to an album track on YouTube and and you know rather than a video it's just got a picture of the cover of the album i was just staring dead brainedly at the at the image of the cover of middle class revolt and i was like wait a minute those four figures which are like humans you could also see them as faces and probably everybody already worked this out but that was the first time for me and so i was quite excited and interested by that and the reason why i bring that up is like as that is what the French may call a trompe wheel or a trompe eye. Um, there's a lot of trompe oof in the fall music for me. And um, this is like what I was hearing in The Reckoning. Like they often do this thing where there's a very, it's on the boundary of like audibility, at least for my ears anyways. And it often sounds like it could be voices or it could be like just a synth sound or it could be something else. And they've been doing this for years. Like I can trace it back to probably hex induction hour on the top of my head. Um, but yeah, there's that in the reckoning, which I really like. And yeah, I love the deadbeat dour psychedelia of it. The roomy organ that sounds like it's had all the air sucked out of it. Um, and not many lyrics, but he makes the most of them. And then that, like, you know, there's the killing kicker of it. And it's evil that you spark off in disguise as basic truth. And you're just like, wow, it must have been tough. It must have been tough breaking up with that, that lassie. Um, very good. Very good. It's been good to see you. It, it appears that Alistair has invited you on a week early. This, this is not episode. This is not episode one hundred. It is episode ninety nine. So next week we are going to rank all the albums. But today's just a regular episode, and you're very welcome to join us and stick around. We'd love to have you. I'm. You'll know these songs very well anyway. Do so the reckoning. Was you exactly. about the reckoning? Yeah, then? go on. What? What? What's your? So it's going to be up against the Ballad of Jay Drummer off White User Syndrome. But uh, what uh, what's your thoughts on The Reckoning? I, I like The Reckoning. Um, I'm not such a fan of Ballad of Jay Drummer. I think it's half-formed. It doesn't seem complete to me. But The Reckoning, I only caught the back end of what you were saying then. So the Reckoning, it's kind of, it's got a, a bit of an uncharacteristic melancholy and honesty about it. But it has got that that mainstay of having a pop at the audience, but it doesn't happen a lot. 
in in a song that happens a lot live where he's saying, you know, you're dancing around with an hippie who thinks he's Mr. Mark Smith and all that business. And to that extent, I kind of like it. I, I, I do. It's it's an odd track. Um, and if it out of those two, I I'd I'd, I'd I'd certainly go for the reckoning out of them too. Yeah. Well, we'll have a listen to Jade Ram in a bit. But um, Alistair, what's your what's your take on the reckoning? Well, it's the middle class revolt thing where I, I normally kind of like go, oh yeah, I'm not keen on middle class revolt. Uh, you know. Uh, but this one's all right. But with, with the reckoning, I just it's it's one of those. It's competent in it, you know. Don't really do much for me. I find it a bit bland, um, predictable, pedestrian, no surprises to be found here kind of thing. Like you know, uh, a bit like a breath of hot air. Um, but you know, like I said, it's competent. But it's just it's just I don't know something in the background. It's nothing that grabs your attention. I can see that. I get that. But for me, it's always. I think what Phil was saying about the guitar, it was always complex enough and unusual enough just to draw you in. And then, yes, yeah, Smith's real. Like, yeah, there's some honesty to it that you don't get in a lot of his songs. He, he's like, when we played the Peel Session version, he's definitely hurting. He's definitely had a, had a few. Was, when he's... was this one on that episode where it was like we all wanted to be like self-harming at the end of it? And it was just like there was nothing good to be found in any of it. <laughs> well, the thing is that, um, like, this is not too long before Bricks comes back. She'd been gone for quite a while, and there's some speculation that he's talking about Nigel Kennedy or whatever, but I don't know if there's much in that. I think it's just a dig at the world around him, and Bricks just happens to be part of that. Um, I found you up in Dallas, but your heart was still in marble, and your head was reckoning. I'm left alone in Europe, consulting an atlas and wandering. Um, yeah, it's... Michael E says it's my favorite from the 90 to 95 period and it's a bit of an earworm while Leon says a country rock chug with over egged synths um Smith sometimes seems downcast like in a midlife slump but uh, not yet content to be the fully cantankerous 50 year old man but he does like the kind of tracks that have honest relationship woes and discomfort with everything I think so I think it's just beautiful um there's some phase going on in that guitar and it's a minor key kind of feeling bittersweet I think you said that Phil as well and the menace just below the surface he could just go off at any point but he, he doesn't and some beautiful twangy noirish um i i would say that the the pads the synths yeah they're quite dominant in some sense but i think the mix is okay to get the guitar and the and the the keys i think it's a, a really nice feeling and and uh, hanley just holding it down in the background yeah i this... totally agree with you about the production on this i think they got it just right i think yeah. it's very gentle and it's it's subtle uh, and there's not much relief in terms of the different voices that are going on, but it's kind of the mood that suits the song, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's like it's up there with like the likes of Edinburgh Man, you know, for, for that kind of like melancholy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that's they're they're both they're both uh, they're sweet in their own ways. But um uh, this set me off on a little way in <laughs> rabbit hole because the way he uses those lyrics and he says, um, consulting an atlas wandering. And the evil you speak speak was a basic truth, listening, where he puts a, a one word at the end that kind of like sums up what he's trying to say in the first part, which is really unusual. And and I was it was sent me off thinking of little Wayne seemed to do that. He would like make a joke and then he'd say another word at the end that like may like put it into context, but I couldn't find an example of this. <laughs> we just have to trust me on that. Um what does Tim think? 
So, yeah, he's got take on this. He has said, um, bum, 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 really lovely and melancholy and head and shoulders above anything else in the LP. There's lots of things I care little for in similar material. The twangy indie guitar tone, lackadaisical vox, the general naff sound, but combines them in a magical way. I love the unresolved feeling to the guitar riff, like an endless cycle that always just misses its destination before coming back for another try, like a happy Sisyphus. <laughs> the thing that elevates it is the quite subtle atmospherics from Mr. Bush that beautifully pad the sound out, and often it's almost barely there, but you can feel it. Great track. Mm, indeed. So it is oh, up against... Um... It's up against the ballad of Jay Drummer um, off Light User Syndrome. So just a couple of years later, Craig's gone and breaks his back. Indeed. Um, <laughs> Balluric, what do you um, think of that, Ezra? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, I think your man pretty much covered it. Like, it, it it, really, you know, it's too bad because it's got a very nice title and it totally piques your interest because you, and I love the play on J.G. Ballard, Ballard. Um, and it starts off quite nice and interesting and you're like oh we're in storyland and you've got this nice kind of martial drum beat and you've got this swelling kind of pad on the synth and it's all sounding quite nice and and you're expecting it to really like fucking kick off and it never quite does and that's a that's a big shame because all the ingredients seem to be there but somehow it just never coalesces um and yeah you know it it just comes off as a bit half-assed but i did get interested in like the uh the final part where he's like he looked in the mirror and said i am not him he stood outside a bar and raised the nerve to go in the window hosted at least 45 man men wondered which one was waiting for him and the boy at the machine meant him no harm but to him the boy was staring again at him the rhythm over in his head again and I was like, why 45? Why 45? So I was looking for the symbolism of the number 45. And this is what I got off the internet. 45 carries the vibration of determination and hard work. It is time to take action. Also a symbol of protection ruled by Mars, aggression, power, and strength. And I condense a lot of crap into that. And then I was thinking about numerology. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think numerology started when someone was telling someone a story and they just picked a number to describe a collection of nouns. And the person who was hearing the story went away and was like, why were there six of them? Why were there six knights? There must be a reason. There must. And that was the birth of numerology. And I think that's about all I've got to say on the matter. Yeah. Well, that's plenty. Uh, but I think you nailed it. Um, Spam, anything more to add on this? Um 
I think Ezra summed it up pretty neatly there. I, I do, I, truthfully, like a lot of a lot of fall songs that aren't particular favourites of mine. They're always, well, not always, but generally lyrically, when you separate the lyric from the tune, sometimes the lyric is great on its own. Like that, when you read that out, then it gives it a new intensity that the song fails to capture, and it, it just sounds like a bit of a demo and a boys' brigade drumming tapping away. Oh. Pretty nice and pleasant, but it, it, to me, it's like, as I said earlier, I think it's half-formed, it's a demo, and it, it sounds like they bunged it on before it was finished. It never got done live, probably never realised its potential. It's got a few themes in it, like a character, which is a mainstay, isn't it, where, uh, you know, perhaps there's a narrative intention there. And I, and I like the way, Ezra, that you read it, and it, it made me think of something that I'd never thought of on listening to that track, and it isn't a particular favourite of mine. When you, when you said... But he he thought the guy on the uh, on the game machine was looking again at him. It's almost like biblical writing that where the where the words are in an old historic order. You would never say that in modern script. You wouldn't you wouldn't say it like that necessarily. And it just reminded me of something out of the Bible, but in a contemporary way. Anyway, that's my summary. No, that makes perfect sense, and it is like the story. And he hadn't done a lot of stories for a good few years before that, and didn't do many after. Um, yeah, that there's something very whether it's um, the man with no name or whether it's uh, Jesus wandering <laughs> into the into the uh, village. Uh, but there's something very mythical about it and mysterious. We had a bit of a chat this week about whether it was cryptic or. Or half-assed it's like is it has he given us just enough to build the story or is he just first draft and like that'll do and um it really depends which side your bread's butter doesn't it <laughs> whether you're given yeah. the benefit of the doubt on any given day i can go I can go either way hard to um, say on that one isn't it yeah but it's musically precursor precursor to light user uh, not light user to levitate which a stack of that was written like that wasn't it yeah I think so. It wasn't really finished lines and things. Yeah, that, that does. Yeah, I guess it, it it goes into that period then when it got a bit more abstract for a couple of albums. And there's the there is some nice stuff going on, but yeah, it doesn't really do enough. And that that kind of bolero march, kind of like rhythm running through it, kind of dominates everything. But there's some nice bass, kind of like squeaks and and noises and rumbles going on in the background. Um, yeah. I think uh, maybe an opportunity missed, and there's quite there's a bunch of those on the light user syndrome. We talked about um, um, the Colosseum and Oxymoron. I think I'm just looking at the play playlist here. There's about three or four on there that feel like yeah, a bit more time might have yeah. um, might have had something more to them. Yeah, but I yeah. agree. I kind of like that Colosseum track. Um, right. I like the live versions of it anyway. I think the speed was kicking in a bit heavily as well at this point, wasn't it? You know, yeah. And I, I mean, it it was always there in the background, but at this point, I think the amphetamine use was kind of clear in the band and in the writing. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps. It was uh, running out, running on steam at that point, and um, <laughs> everything fell apart, didn't it, very quickly after that? Yeah, and that that fractious personal life, and it always is through the band's. You know, you can track fashion trends and stuff in terms of what they're wearing and what they're presenting and where the covers are and all that. You can track the 80s and so on. But on these particular ones, when his life was spiralling out of control, you can kind of feel it on the albums now in retrospect. You could at the time, but it's more obvious now. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't think there's many happy people. If you look at that cover of White Sleeves Syndrome, uh, it, 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 it captures the mood. Well. I've done it. <laughs> uh, Phil, what do you reckon to J-Drama? Um, <clears throat> I was just reflecting on what other people had said, actually. I guess this is the price you pay for liking the fall, isn't it? This is the price you pay for liking a proper experimental band. Not every experiment should work if it's, if it's truly experimental. So it's, you know, there's going to be the, the odd track that doesn't quite come together. And it's interesting when they don't come together, isn't it? It's interesting deconstructing why they, why, what is it about this track where all the ingredients seem to be the same as stuff that really works dead well. What is it about this one that doesn't quite gel the same? And um, I, I suspect you've already put your finger on it. I think it's just a time thing. So again, it's the limitation that they put on themselves as the kind of manifesto for recording and writing music, isn't it? You get what they do that year. And and you and that's <laughs> you either like it or you fucking lump it. Um, and it's if you if you you've got to embrace that as well as everything else with the fall, haven't you? So and I, I think it's just one of those tunes where I mean I'm not a fan of that Bolero style drumming all the way through. It does remind me of there's there was a spate of songs in the sixties with like these nice kind of sad ballad type songs that do this stuff, and I'm not a huge fan of those. Um, it it feels it feels a bit too gimmicky, a bit too novelty for it to keep my interest for a whole song. And they don't do enough subtle stuff in the background to keep it interesting. It weirdly it reminded me a lot of Joan of Arc as well. Actually, it reminded me of something that they might do on on one of their uh, their experiments. Um, and again, I think it would probably fail if they did it in the same way as this. I think but the yeah, stories, this, like the, the, I agree with Spen that as I was reading in the lyrics, it does. They're not bad lyrics. They're odd. The story's odd, but the there's some real charm to the words and the atmosphere. It's the 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 story itself is is really good if you read it. It is it is um, almost kind of um, a parable. You know the the. Messiah goes into the town and no one wants to speak to him anymore because they've all got they're all got their computers. And there's a theory on the outdated fall that, you know, on um light user, Burns was playing more of the drums and Funky Sai was doing a lot of programming and stuff. And there's a wonder whether or not there was a dig to uh, that kind of push, but I think it's a bit of a stretch. But interestingly enough, you know, there's people say, um, again, that it's about Carl Burns, who's a tough guy, but he's actually a bit of a softie was the story. But it when Funky Sai first joined Ben Sinister, he was called John Wollstonecraft. So Jay Drummer was, was the one that popped, again, it's a stretch, you know, but come on, can have a bit of fun with this stuff, surely. Alistair, what about this? You're a drummer, aren't you? I'm a- you must love, <laughs> you must love that beat. Spencer drummer. I know he is. <laughs> yeah, it's like that military drummer. And it kind of reminds me of a uh, you know, little drummer boy. Uh, and the synth kind of like reminds me a bit of atmosphere. So it's like a bit of a mashup. Um, but yeah, I don't really go anywhere. There, there is potential there, but I just think it needs a little bit more thought to it. Yeah. As you've said, but never listen to the lyrics. Listen to the lyrics. Exactly. Take the skinheads balling. Michael A, the ballad of J Drummer. How did this get around to uh, get through to round two? Like user syndrome would be an amazing LP. We could remove this, stay away, last chance to turn around the succession man. Oh, come on. Come on, Michael. Last chance to turn around the succession man. <laughs> two of my favorite tracks on that record. This is no succession, man. No, um, 
It got round. It got through to round two, interestingly, by beating Jim's The Fall, which a lot of people cite as one of the best tracks off. Um, off How you are missing winning? Sick. Um, but anyway, a lot of people really like that track. But uh, this nonsense put it Post out. Post Reformation, so. Jim's The Fall, isn't it? Oh no, no you're right. It is missing winner. Yeah, I yeah. do apologize. Accepted. And then Leanne oh. says, deep in the bizarre second side of like user military march about drummers. Glad it exists, but also won't listen to it again intentionally. But uh, Disco Stu had some thoughts on this. What do you reckon? Well, I'll tell you. He's put odd narrative, lovely little electronic squeals, echoing martial hits, but a bit threadbare. I really like it. And if it wasn't placed among the god-awful shit that surrounds it on the album, I'd say it was a perfect album track that doesn't really need considering in a competition like this. As it stands, it doesn't work as a standalone track, in my opinion. Too slight, and I almost never listen to it in context because of the company it keeps. It's really interesting. We're very divided on tracks like uh, Cheatham Hill, Coliseum, Last Chance to Turn Around, Ballad of Gia Drummer, and Succession Man. That's essentially more or less the second half of the album, and um, at Plus Powder Cake, um, which we'll get to later. All right, well, I think I know which way this will go. But let's take a vote. Uh, Phil, which way are you going? Reckoning. Okay. Spen? Reckoning. Aye. Me too. He's one of my uh, top picks. Alistair? I'm I'm equally as uninspired, so I'm going to split. Split. Fair enough. Ezra? I will go for Reckoning. Aye. As has both of our patrons, Michael and Max. Max not feeling very well, so he's only just given us his votes. Yeah, well, exactly. so Max. Exactly. Well, he's he's in full health for the Hondo next week. But uh, Phil, make it make it so. Days early doors, indeed. Alistair Carey Grant's wedding, decent tune, in it. You know, um, I quite like like the slow bits and the fast bits, the way they kind of like work off each other. Slow bits, like, really reminds me of kind of like sludge rock kind of thing. If you listen to the drums, uh, but like well before the time, so you know, you're thinking, you know, a bit like Melvin's or something like that when they're at the, the evilest. Um, again. Don't know what the lyrics are about, but I do know Cary Grant was a bit of an interesting character. He used to take acid with uh, Vincent Price and Alice Cooper. I heard that. But, yeah, I, I started that rumour. Very good. That's it? Yeah, that's it. It's, 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 it's a good one. It's not a bad it's one, a is punky. it? Total it's a bit punky. Turns, bit, bit it's a bit fast, it's a bit slow. It's, um, for me, it's a perfect summation of Hanley versus Riley and all of their best buds. Like that sludgy verse is exactly where they went to with Perverted by Language a few years later. And then you've got Riley Stephen with his circus music. And um, exactly. Spen, what, what's uh, Cary Grant do for you? I love it. I, I kind of, I'm very fond of this period anyway. 
But I think you've kind of nailed it. It's got that crazy cabaret underlying beat where Mike Lee's just about fitting in with the rest of the band, which creates a really odd dynamic between that punky, lo-fi sound that they had going on. Mark Riley, you know, trying to be more pop and more accessible and, and a really unusual kind of primal sound that they had going on at the time. I absolutely love the song. Um, I think you're right, Alistair, about the acid stuff and Cary Grant. It's quite topical at the minute. I keep seeing this thing on the telly at the minute about some Cary Grant show and I don't know what the big deal is about Cary Grant at the minute, but there you go. But perfect. It's an odd character. It's an odd target for the song, isn't it? Because why single Cary Grant out of everybody? You know what I mean? Um, I never understood why Cary Grant and why he's wedding. What's the wedding bit? I never got, never got that. I know he was uh, married anyway. a bunch of times, and the speculation is that uh, there was maybe something in the news around the time that he's getting married again. So um, maybe Smith made that connection between the kind of punk, the superstars of punk is Joe Strummers and uh, Jake Burns and um, and the second-rate Hollywood trash that are turning out for Cary Grant's wedding. Yeah, it stumbles out of the ruins. Great in it. Lyrics, brilliant lyrics, really odd delivery, really tribal kind of basic folky kind of delivery. Love it. My only regret of that period is that he never did appeal session with that lineup, you know, with Mike Lee and that. I think that would have been fascinating to hear yeah. to a appeal session with those guys. Anyway, I absolutely love it. I do. And I it's... would have liked to hear a studio version. Yeah, it's a strange one that they never got around. They put it on Total's turns, and I think that's the only place you could get it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alistair, if I have asked you anyway, what does Pip think? Phil, what, what do you reckon to Cary Grant's wedding? Well, it's interesting what you just said, though. I spoke really about wanting to hear a studio version, because the first thing I've written down in my notes is, what more would a studio version give you? This is fucking great. And I, I think that the liveness... Gives it that dragnet-y kind of lo-fi dynamic to it all. We, I was thinking, though, this is one of them tracks that when I first heard it, I obsessed about for, for months, re-listening to it, trying to decode it in my head and working out the music and all these, these the juxtaposition of that doomy guitar riff followed by Riley's ice cream van sort of sensibilities when it comes to his angular kind of riffing. Um, it's it's like it, there's a there's a real. It feels like there's a sleight of hand trick going on with it that it, I, I took a lot of time thinking about. But but having listened to like the whole or a lot of the discography of the band and the performances and stuff now, the stuff that does that contrast that I prefer listening to nowadays. But this is one of them tracks that got me to go on that journey in the first place, where it was like, what the fuck is this that I am listening to? It's Cary Grant's fucking wedding. And <laughs> is this, what's the stuff going on? But this weird music changes. It's just, it was confusing. And I, it was, it was that curiosity to try and decode it is, is one of the things that got me into the band. Um, but I've got other favourites that do that now, I think, just to sort of temper what I'm, what I'm saying with that, really. But I really like the production on it. Um, yeah, I've just, <laughs> I've just written at the end of my notes here. It's like a cross between Paranoid and Knees Up Mother Brown. Nice. Yeah, there yeah, exactly. I think, um, yeah, going from Black Sabbath into uh, the old Yeah, that's but it's um, great. It works. It works great. And it, that's what's weird about it is that those things shouldn't work. It's like when you said about trying to mix pastoral music with funk. 
Never try it, mate. Dangerous, dangerous Wrong. stuff. Um, Ezra, what do you reckon? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting hearing what everyone else says. Like, um, going from Phil, like, this was a track I'd been into the fall for a, quite a bit before I heard this one. And that's not surprising considering that it's only on Totale's turns. And so it, it didn't really excite me all that much. But it gets more interesting the more I listen to it, which is, you know, a fairly typical uh, thing for a full track. Almost all full tracks, especially the ones that I write off, become pro progressively interesting on repeated listens, unless it's the Ballad of Jay Drummer. Um, and, yeah, like Alistair said, the thing that really struck me is, like, they've got this awesome sludge metal <laughs> kind of opening Um and then it gets into this weird, like, kind of, uh, yeah, rinky-dink stuff. Hmm. Uh, towards the end of the song, I think they're pulling a little bit from the Lou Reed playbook, and it, it starts getting a nice bit of chug going to it. But, but yeah, like, that, like it, for me, and I normally quite like Mark Riley's uh, chirpy stuff, for me, this is, like, one of the bad examples of it. But it's still an interesting song, and, and it... It's interesting with the whole concept of Cary Grant, right? Because if I'm not mistaken, and I've not checked his biography for a while, but he was um, born from an English mining town, right? Br Bristol. It's from Bristol. Bristol. Right, Bristol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From working class parents, from a working class background. And I think he was around his 50s when he first dropped acid. And for him, it was an enormous, like, kind of therapeutic lift because it, it, it completely helped him to redefine himself as a person and to maybe cast off the shackles of his kind of working class, maybe slightly prudish upbringing or whatnot. Um, like I say, it's been a while since I've kind of dug into this, so I can't remember it perfectly. And so, and yeah, you know, you've got the whole concept of the alchemical wedding uh, which is something that a lot of acid heads will say is what you might be experiencing under the influence of these things. I wouldn't know, never having been so irredeemably daft as to dabble with illegal street drugs. Um, but it would seem that a lot of Guardian journalists and whatnot love to drop acid left, right and centre because it's really good for you. And it's That's all what I've heard. Mm. I'll add, anyway. I'll, I'll, I'll add you a bit more to that, because you'll like this one, Ezra. In, uh, in Chaos Magic Circles, they always talk about the fact that his original name was Arnold Leach. And in one of the films, I can't remember which film it is, and I'd be stumbling through a graveyard, and he falls on a grave, and it says Arnold Leach on the gravestone. And so there's a lot of Chaos Magicians who see that as a working in terms of killing the Arnold Leach character from Cary Grant being born. I like the. I just like the fact that Harry Grant is so central to chaos magic. It, it, that in itself, very is, important, is, is something. This is what. <laughs> so so. Um, Leon is from Bristol, and that's uh, that's what uh, reminded me that uh, he was a local boy. Um, Cary Grant, local boy, we've got a statue of him in Bristol, despite him hating the place that saw him through an unhappy childhood of poverty, which he never spoke about or revisited. It's a fun track, good but not great. Michael E., Cary Grant's wedding. The song didn't get the treatment it deserved, never stood a recorder as far as I know, and only played live a few times, shoved onto Total's turns instead of a proper LP. It's great, though. So, well, what more would divided. you get? What, what more, more would you what get more would from you studio get? recording? It's perfect. I, I like it. It's rumness, but I do think um, 
There's some weird reverb choices and there's a bunch of cymbal splashes that I don't think Hermes would have let him get away with in the studio version. So that, uh, at least that, at least you'd have had some tighter hi-hat work. Um, what about uh, Tim? Does he like this? So Ace Ports are heard this hundreds of times and still no clue what it's getting at. In fact, for years, I confused Cary Grant and Cary Fisher, which made it make even less sense. <laughs> Good riff, though. And I like the breakneck switches it pulls and the kind of rockabilly thing. Mez sounds fabulous on it, too. Low tier in the ranking from the era, but good shit regardless. He's on form today, isn't he? Indeed. Um, so it is up against is that everyone. I think that's everyone. It's up against a different song. And he <laughs> plays that one while I find it. I'm trying to remember what it is. Curious Orange. Oh, yeah, that one. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Philip, Curious Orange. Curious Orange. It's so joyous, isn't it? Although every every time it's come on this week, it's put a smile on my face, this song. It's just, especially after some of the more, uh, uh, the darker sort of mood in the other songs, it's great when this comes on. It's so bright and fresh. The guitar playing's really good on it. Just not nothing particularly complicated, just really nice rhythm playing. Um, and my my favourite bits on the track, really, are, are towards the end when he's just letting the megaphone do its daft demo thing down the uh, down the microphone and stuff. It's just a really get, great sort of um, little bit chaotic, but all the better for it. A bit loose around the edges, but all good parties should be. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't really have anything else to say about it. It just really makes puts me in a good mood. The tune, positively deranged, as you might uh, describe it. Yeah, Spen, what's uh, Curious Orange do for you? I like its repetition, and I like its kind of its general production. This stuff was pretty tight at the time, wasn't it? And um, working with the ballet and so on, I think it it sharpened the band up a bit. There's a late eighties kind of semi-glamour attached to the the production and so on. Lyrically, I kind of like the bit in the middle when he's rattling on about stoops and smoking and inventing birth control and something about, I can't remember the lyrics exactly, but something about Arabs, Arab states and so on. I, I particularly like that bit where he, he kind of summarises the Dutch in a, in, a, in about eight or nine lines. I'm not saying it's an accurate portrayal of the Dutch, let me just add that. <laughs> That's Mark Smith's at the time portrayal of it. But I, I kind of find that really interesting. And I believe at the time he was kind of, I know he's into historical figures and William of Orange and Napoleon and a couple of other characters that he, he seems to be interested in. It was an interesting period at that point when they did that tricentennial ballet to, to celebrate the 300 years of the ascension of William of William and Mary of Orange and all that. Um, so, I, you know, in, in terms of the album, it's not the best track off the album, but it's a good track. 
yeah it's a great track oh it's 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 sweet it's very silly cod reggae it's like you know it's um but it it's got such a positive kind of vibe that that smith just goes along with yeah and i think the lyrics as ridiculous they are just absolutely um fit perfectly um pained and intense they rode over peasants like you and their horses loved them too they built the world as you know it their clothes were cool paved way for atom bomb they made the jews go to school they sent hitler missionary girls to arab states and sun-baked men did drool they turned napoleon over they invented birth control and uh, they were starving and smoking so yeah that's the dutch really in, in a nutshell <laughs> we weeping as they were in uh, multi, mm-hmm. multiple yeah. languages. Uh, Alistair, what about the Curious Orange for you? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I can't really think of any other fall song where they really get into sort of like a reggae kind of riff, which I think was hinted at last time it was, uh, you know, in the first round. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a really good solid riff. It's like dead danceable. I, I love this one. Um, uh, good recording. Interesting concepts, uh, and you know the fact that it's from the play as well. Like you know, there's, there's a bunch of sort of like baggage that goes with that. Um, so you, think, you know, because of the choreography and things, you've got to kind of have thing. You've got to have it in a, in a, a straight, predictable time. So that's like constant throughout it as well. Uh, but yeah, I do like the LP. I do like this song. I'll agree with Spence. Not the best one off it, like, but it's it's still a corker. Yeah, it's um. Indeed, Michael Lee says, I have a friend who isn't a fall fan who thinks that this contains the funniest fall lyric they wrote of a peasants like you and their horses love them too. She was also impressed by how Mez managed to write Orange with Deranged. And uh, I've already mentioned how I Am Curious Orange got me into the fall, so I love this song. While Leon, who is a, he's a big reggae fan, is as our man. I think he's going to come on. Next time he comes on, he's going to do as a futures and pass about like those... Um, Toasters and and reggae artists that Mez was into like I Roy and and um, Big Youth and people like that. Uh, cod reggae, so cod it comes battered with chips. I love it. A big influence on Ace of Base, I'm told. Unique take on reggae scatting. Hilarious scattershot history lesson. The bander as tight as anything says it all, doesn't it? Ezra, what about the curious orange? Yeah, I mean, I think this is quite possibly the best full track. Um, for me, it's a gift that keeps on giving. It's that rarest of things, which is like, as was said, a bright, sunshiny, joyous song from the fall. Um, and I'm not sure there are many others like that. But yeah, the, the lyrics and, and Mez's performance of them, it, it's just fucking fantastic and they're so so funny. <laughs> like I always loved the loved the song from the first time I heard it, but just the more I get into the lyrics, like uh, the the one that you missed, which uh, which I really like, was uh, they're impervious to cool, invulnerable to cool, and everybody in the world turned Reformation blue. They made Hitler laugh in pain. They turned Hitler, Napoleon over and didn't know. Um, ah, yeah, they freed the blacks too. They built church in one day, man. Amish. So going back to your reckonings and whatnot, there we've got another nice end of a line with a word. Um, and just listening it today, I was like, it's interesting that one of the main instruments is that megaphone riff. And, you know, the name of the song being Curious Orange and High Viz Wear being kind of orange as well. 
I was like, that was a connection that just formed in my head today. There must be something into that. There must be something in, I'm sure, I'm sure. Pretty, but, pretty yeah, impeccable. Mm. Yeah, well, the, the, I, I really love those, um, the, the eternal riff that you're talking about, Phil, which I guess is, yeah, he's playing something down, whether it's a keyboard or something down the down, down the mic. And then, um, then those... it's, a, it's a megaphone demo on most okay. megaphones. Right. They will play like a kind of a weird demo of something. And, and it fits really well. I've bought megaphones. Nice. I know my megaphones. Well, I, I like there's a bit, a great couple of minutes in where the keys are in, which I guess is Marsha Schofield playing the synth trumpets. And they're just so obnoxious, just coming like several types of synth, like horn comes in. And then he plays that kind of like wonky keyboard riff down there. And it's it's beautiful. Yeah, Smith knows this is something special. And um, I, I kind of wonder whether he wrote a song about William of Orange and then decided it was it was weighty enough to turn into the ballet. I mean, I don't think the ballet had particularly strong narrative, but I kind of wonder whether he started with that and then this is what, um, yeah, he felt like it had enough to it to to carry, um, carry Grant's wedding. Carry the ballet, I mean. Um, but he does, <laughs> but he does it. He does a he does an Elvis voice a, a couple of minutes in as well. He goes oh, which I haven't heard many Mez doing the kind of uh uh uh-huh bit. Um, I really liked his his scatty thing he does at the end. The whole yeah. stuff. I think it worked yeah. really well. And it's when you when you called it cod reggae to start off with. Like uh, the first thing I thought of was like, what makes it cod exactly? What's is it not just reggae? Is it uh, or are the rules? Because I don't know. <laughs> it's a bit li- it's a bit straight down the line and a bit light and a bit kind of right. like you know I, I think basically you, you've listened to way more reggae and dub and ska stuff than I've had, than I could dream of so, so I'm, I'm I am asking genuinely I'm not trying to catch you play, played the song this morning I was listening and my uh, my lady wife was uh, asking i said it's a reggae song the fall didn't really do many straight up reggae songs and yeah like, when you said that before Al, i was thinking i can only think of a couple there's kimball isn't there which they do yeah, that's cool, yeah. and why are people bridgeful which are, yeah, which is another cover that. right and then um yeah. arguably the next one that we're going to come to as a as a dub influence tom ragazzi but it's a it's a lesser well-known one but yes yeah, a straight up reggae i think it's just so straight down the line and it's being played by um a bunch of white musicians that you have to call it cod reggae don't you at least they didn't do a sting impression over it <laughs> i was i almost Wait, I did mean... it i almost did it then i almost did the curious orange in the sting voice but i i'm, I'm not up for that I'm not up for that kind of trouble for me it is like sting insofar as like i have to be told that this is reggae before I'll believe it's reggae. I listened to this song and enjoyed it for a long time. And then probably the last time we had it on the podcast, one of you guys were like, oh, and, and this is some kind of reggae. And I was like, there's nothing reggae about this. It's the fucking fall, mate. What are you talking about? I don't, was, I don't even like reggae. It's hey, like, this is scar stuff I like. Well, it's mad because until you guys said it was reggae, and I've listened to it un- literally hundreds of times, I've never thought of it as reggae. And as you were playing the, you know, the the, the excerpt earlier, it dawned on me that it is reggae. <laughs> it's just that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've never kind of never listened to it with that perspective, but now I ruined it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I love oh, the old it. 
I loved your reading as well, Brendan and Ezra, because when you read the lyrics, it dawned on me. It's a great number, but they're absolutely genius lyrically. I mean, he's yeah. a fantastic lyricist. Oh, yeah. You know, superb lyrics, even just those little snippets. Fan, fantastic. Again, Great. I was trying to, trying to explain to my wife when I, what the song was about. She was Curious Orange, that's what. Well, it's named after a Swedish film called I'm Curious Yellow, which is a kind of porno, but not really. But it's not really about that. It's about this William Orange character who was invited by the British to invade and take <laughs> over. And But it's not really even about that. It's about a collective unconsciousness. And he says a lot of stuff about the Dutch and none of it's true. And it's like, I, I may have lost her at some point in that explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this, wasn't John Cooper Clark's backing band the Curious? Were they, were they the Curious Yellows or the Curious oh, Orange? might have been. I don't know. I think when he did his first couple of LPs, because he was always a cappella, wasn't he? Yeah. When you got a band behind him, I think they were called the Curious Yellows because they always had the... What is, is it jaundice that makes you go yellow? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they were right. always on the sauce, and they were always yeah. like a tinge of yellow. No, it's, it, yeah, you're right, right. It is. It is. John Cooper Clark and the Curious Yellows. Good. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, I don't know if there's... I don't think it's... A, I think it's a strenuous link, maybe, but... You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Or it's all, it's all fat for chewing. Exactly. Alistair, have I asked you? I don't think I have, Alan. Yeah, you have, Brendan. No, it's, it's the invisible one you've not asked. Go on, what do you think? He's put another one that's a bit thin and threadbare for me on more stairs, but on Ooh. others, I really get into the skank. Lyrically, it's amusing in small doses, and I like the scatting. Unfortunately, the musical ideas get a bit thin for me after about a minute, and it goes on for six and a half. I think I need a bit more brutality or subtlety for repetition to engage me. This is just a bit boring. Fair enough. You just need sour grapes. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, it's going to be a tight one, I reckon, so let's go and have a vote, shall we? What's, uh, Philip, which way are you going, Cary Grant or Curious Orange? Um... Feeling curious. Okay, fair enough. Um, Alistair? Curious orange for me. All right. Sven? I'm going to have to be one of these kids who's doing their own thing here. So I'll have to go Cary Grant. That's uh, fair enough. Out of them two tracks, yeah. So unusual within Fall fans, isn't it, to find someone who's <laughs> goes against the grey? <laughs> uh, Ezra, which way are you going? Nice. I'm curious. Orange. I'm torn. I'm going to go for Cary Grant, but I also know that uh, my vote won't really count, so I don't know if it's a cop out. Uh, both of our um, voters, both Max and Michael, have gone for Curious Orange, so it does go through easily. I unfortunately have to say goodbye to the gem that is Cary Grant's wedding. Uh, final showdown of the evening. We got Tom Regazzi. Uh, a, a lesser known gem and it's going to be up against powder keg a biggie well, let's have a list of tom raggy raggy tom raggy raggy come down off the hill tom raggy raggy come down off the hill Who you know? 
So vinyl only, I think, um, originally, vinyl only track from the Marshall Suite. So um, slipped between the cracks for many people. Not one I'd known until recently. Um, it's a divisive one, isn't it? Ezra, what do you make of Tom Raggy Raggy? Well, you know, here we are in round two and um, we voted off LA, Gut of the Quantifier, Paranoia Man in Cheap Shit Room, Glam Racket, uh, in my area, uh, and and the list continues. And here we are listening to this, and I I just rest my case. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, if it was, yeah, you know, like if I if I bought the album on vinyl, and this was an extra track, so to speak, I'd be like, oh yeah, this is this is an all right piss around for for my vinyl, and it'll maybe you know make it worth more money if I ever try and sell it. But yeah, it's dog shit basically put you down as a maybe um <laughs> phil come on tom, tom i really i like the it uh, i'm not going to disagree with ezra really but the <laughs> the um i really like some of the bits in it i like that so back in vocal stuff that they get going on with it it's just a shit it's no there's there's not enough good stuff in it to for them to to really be working with this tom raggy raggy sounds all right I'm I'm going to disagree. I think it's really good. I really like it because um, it rem it does remind me of a Lee Perry kind of stripped down Lee Perry song, but much more ramshackle. And it's got a vocoders on it and some kind of like weird vocal stuff going on, which is really nice. It's dark. Um, reminds me of kind of um, some of the stuff that Tom York was doing with his uh, solo stuff, but obviously. He'd, He'd spend a lot more fucking time than the 20 minutes they spent on this. Tom York wasn't the first person to come to mind when I was listening to this. I'll be honest with you. Um, I really like it. It's got a skittery, loose, again, skanking kind of like uh, thing with a tortured guitar riff, some wah. Um, not musically deaf, but um, there's a break in the clouds at the end, and uh, then Smith does a racist voice so what else could you what else could you ask for spend what, what's uh, your take on this this is there's not many trip file tracks that i struggle with but this is one and uh again like a couple of the the stuff that they've put to vinyl it's half formed i think it's not realized its full potential i agree with all your points it's it's got parts of it that are cack it's got parts of it that are genius but they're, they're happening at the same time and because of that, it doesn't really hang together properly for me. I dig that little vocoder kind of voice at the back. It reminds me of Buggles or something from the 80s, you know, like something like, oh, wow, it's like, like a Frank Cybot. I'm in the yeah, background. Yeah. I love that. But I think it's kind of like, it, it, I think that's why they laid it to rest on that word it is, because it's like it's there, but you've got to look for it, haven't you? You, you know, it, it, you know, I don't know for me. Perhaps it can't, I don't know if they did it live or not. It's one that I'm not familiar with the lyrics either. I don't think lyrically it's got a lot of substance either. I mean, what is Ragazzi? What is that? Is that Tom the drummer? Is it about Tom Ed the drummer or something? What's Ragazzi? It might have been because when I was looking at the um, YouTube, whoever posted it, because he passed away a few years ago, I think. He um, did, yeah. Yeah, so I think um, whoever posted it put a bit of a tribute to him. So I've got a feeling that, that um, at least... In part, but no, I don't know what uh, Ragazzi or Ragazzi is is referring to at all. It did remind 
I mean, the bit at the end when he puts the uh, the Italian, I'm guessing, accent on, which does go to show that he can do accents if you put <laughs> his mind to it, regardless of what you may have heard on other tracks. Um, but it uh, it just reminded me of the Hey Luciani stuff, and I wondered if it was some kind of him playing or, you know, sort of that kind of, those bits coming through again in his, uh, his writing. There's a suggestion that it's, a retread or a version of anecdotes and antidotes with it, which which was is it we'd voted out, but we really like the young Nev version where he blend the levy brake, put levy brake drums on it, and then somehow that made it much, much better. So um Michael E, this is one of those fall tracks that fall in the category Steve Hanley describes as lo-fi classics. Um, Hanley had sadly gone by this point. I wonder what he would have made of it. Although for him to put a huge baseline over it, maybe it would have saved it. Who knows? It's okay, though. As many, uh, though many of them are, it's okay. He says. And then Leon, if Curious Orange is cod reggae, then Tom, <laughs> he's on form tonight, is Leon. Then Tom Raggy Raggy's an Asda Smart Price Fish Finger Sandwich on white sliced bread. <laughs> Being extremely <laughs> charitable, perhaps there is some appeal in its roughshod shitness in a DIY outsider kind of way. Well, DIY <laughs> outsider is what I go for. So um, come on, Alistair, help me out here. Yeah, I'm on side with you on that one, Brendan. I, 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 one of the things I really like about it is the uh, like stripped down low fire recording. Um, it just sounds like they've got an ambient mic in a rehearsal room. Uh, and so, like the, the majority of the songs come from that, and they've just added a few bits over the top of it. But you know, I, I do like the earthy sound. Uh, the backing vocals are pretty good. Really love the wire on it as well. Um, I think it's, I think it's all right. I'm not complaining about uh, no. Tom Regas. No lad, no lad, not at all. Yeah. But um, I know someone who is. What do you think? Well, he's put uh, <clears throat> fucking shite. <laughs> <laughs> Powder keg, our flight user syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> this is the these two songs perfectly sum up the challenge as a as a fall listener for me a lot of the time because do i do i go for that rough half-assed slipshod kind of madness of tom ragazzi or powder keg which is a lot more fully formed but is a it comes across as generic at times i mean there's a lot of stuff in between that's absolutely wonderful. But for for me, um, plodding drums, generic bass stuff. And and the only stuff that stands out musically is, I'm, I'm guessing it's uh, Julia Adamson, Julian Nagel's kind of one-note, atonal, kind of out-of-tune-out-of-time riffing. Um, like a jam that just doesn't kind of take off. However, if we're going to talk about lyrics, I mean, yeah. 
Now that's that's a whole other bag. Uh, maybe I'll get into some of those later if Ezra doesn't get too much into them. But uh, musically, not not one of my favourites. Um, Al, what's uh, Powder Keg do for you? Well, you know, there were some redeeming qualities, and I'll agree with kind of what you're saying. Um, I was thinking the reckoning was, uh, you know, the, the dead pedestrian kind of thing, but this kind of uh, it's it's not too far off it. Uh, but you know, there, there, there is some redeeming qualities. Uh, the riff, like the bass riff, it really reminds me of something else, and I can't quite put my finger on what that is. Like, but yeah, the the, the, the redeeming features, I think, are things like that daft brass synth thing, uh, which yeah, to me, it's quite appealing. That's like one of the bits that that sort of like you know stands out in it for me, just because it's like sounds so out of place in the in the song. Uh, but it's like it's kind of like so wrong it's right uh so that works but it's all right you know it's, it's a mixed bag curious egg curious exactly spam what about powder keg for you i agree with it both of you so far it's kind of like it's okay it it doesn't light the world on fire it doesn't compare to a lot of the other stuff which half of it will bat it out of the park and that's half the problem with the fall because you whack that on someone else's lp and it'll sound good you put it on a fall album and it's like they fucking run out of tracks and they've had to bang that on it. And that's half the battle, isn't it? Because when you compare them to themselves, which isn't normally what you do with a band, you compare them to others, you compare them to themselves, that's mediocre. So for me, it's pleasant enough. I don't turn it off. Sometimes I'll skip it, but I won't, you know, you know what I mean? So lyrically, it, it, it nails it a lot more. And I'll leave that to others to talk about that. But musically, does the does the music do the lyric justice? Probably not. No, it's interesting. There's a couple of them tonight with that, with the, the J drummer particularly, and that and now Powder Keg were um and it's interesting how that'll flip sometimes. We had a few none this week, but last few weeks we've had songs where the music was pu- pulling it through and Smith didn't really turn up. Um but yeah, absolutely. Ezra, what about um what about it for you? Yeah, I've got to agree with most of what's been said. I mean, for me, the thing that kind of makes this song and the thing that makes a lot of Paul songs is is Smith's vocal. And I think he's just a master of, like, a vocal hit hook. And, like, this song comes on and, like, you know, the first lyric is, you better listen. And he, he just does it so well. And I'm, I'm immediately, you know, he's immediately piqued my uh, interest and got my attention. And... Yeah, you know, and, and musically, it, it is kind of naff. Um, and I always kind of like the naffness of naff fall tracks because it sounds, I mean, considering the lead singer spent, I think, probably about between a third and a half of his life watching TV, it's incredible when you think about how many fall songs sound like TV theme tunes. And this is one of them. And it's like, you know, it's like some kind of... I don't know, like some kind of cop show or something. And it, like that perfect keyboard part from Julia Nagel Adamson. Um, I, I think it's really funny. Yeah, I've I got to say, yeah, it's not going to make it into maybe my top 50, maybe even my top 100 four songs. But it really charms me just with, you got to listen. <laughs> and where does he go from there? I'm going to steal a little bit of your thumb. Uh, here we go. Yeah, take me home. I don't want to go. Take me back to the safe. You know better. You better listen. It's a powder keg. You better listen. I had a dream. Rused and coloured. It's going to hurt me. Manchester City Centre. Caroline, take me back. 
I can't get the bus. You know what they say, retreat from Enniskillen. <laughs> it's just, it's really fucking funny. Um, and for me, it's up there with um, songs like Guest Informant, where we're also getting into this. And I just love these songs where there's some weird, like, fucking soap opera about spies just having psychotic breaks in city centre corners. <laughs> it's just makes me laugh a lot. I really, really like it. It's so charming and fantastic and wholesome. And 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 sorry, I'm dragging on a bit maybe, but listening to it as well, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, because, you know, like Cheatham Hill, which is also a light user syndrome. Was this the Paul's Britpop album? Because to me, this song, it, it sounds like a song that Blur might have released if they were any good. <laughs> you know, that kind of like tiresome guitar vamping, which I don't like very much. But that's like that's basically Britpop, isn't it? That kind of like yang yang yang. It, it's like glam rock with its bollocks cut off or something. Um, mm. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Mm. quite quite a nice track. Quite a nice track. And now on BBC One, Powder Keg starring Trevor Eve. <laughs> um, we 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 damned a song with faint praise last week by saying it sounded like it would, Damon Albarn should be AI'd on to, on top of it. So it seems like Blur are becoming our whipping boys. But fair enough, they deserve it. But um, Philip, how the keg? Well, I'm definitely more in Ezra Ezra's camp than yours. I, I uh, and I'm not saying this is Succession, man, but I, I do think it's one of those cases where. <clears throat> Everything's a bit wrong and shouldn't really work, but it all kind of comes together in the mix. Um, and I, 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 again, what Ezra was saying about certain phrases, the, the, you better listen, I did think was cool. And I also think, uh, towards the end, where he's going, tell him, Mark. <laughs> he tells himself to tell people. I, I just absolutely love that. It's because uh, it's like it's a bit of a soul thing, isn't it? Where uh, the the backing singers would say, "Oh, tell him," and then he would go, "Yeah," and but he does it for himself, which I thought was great. Um, and obviously, the pop pop synth is just. I, I think it's like one of those songs from quite er, from quite early on, like uh, like on a Ben Sinister or something like that, where the song's not amazing. But it's just got a keyboard part that like lifts it and it just makes the song. And I think it works like that for me. Um and I so yeah, I love Mezzi's performance. And whilst it is a bit a bit wrong, the music, I don't it comes together and I think it works. And it's been another one of my uh, highlights of the playlist this week, really, when it's come on. And it is I, I don't have a problem with cop show themes and I don't have a problem with a little bit of chuggy chuggy guitar every now and again. I think uh, I think it works on this. I it's a, um we didn't get into the precog stuff too much, but this is the one that's cited most often, along with Terry Waite says of him knowing what was going to happen, ignoring the fact that Manchester had been bombed. A few years before he wrote this song, um, the song kept ringing me up. It's really weird, this song of yours. Manchester's a power keg. It's typical sun stuff. They won't get off the bleeding phone. And he says... Well, it's funny that a bomb went off in Manchester last week and you said Manchester is a powder keg. How did you know about it? And also you wrote this song about Terry White years ago. And I'm going, yeah, I didn't realize this. But, um, you know, I've been psychic since I was a teenager. And um, so that was his interaction with the sun. Uh, but mostly he goes on about how um, in, in a similar interview about how the volatile nature of the city is less about um 
any bombs or anything like that and, and uh, more about how Oasis are shit than pretending to to be car thieves when they actually come from Cheshire. <laughs> so <laughs> that's his point. Fair enough. Um, and of course, he does have a sister called Caroline who did um, who drew the cover for Grotesque and Remit and a few other. So um, Michael E says, User Syndrome was the album where Mark started shouting again after seven years of talking through LPs. This song isn't one of the shouty ones. And uh, he talks in this one. A fine song, though. Leon, the sort of skanks, too, in a very mank way, like the synth horn pops and keyboards. Maybe Nagel's work. Great lyrics and delivery, too. Paranoid, unsettling and concerned, especially the I had a dream, I can't get the buzz verse. Great track. Hmm, seems uh, we are torn, but um, I think Tom Raggy Raggy has his work cut out. I'm going to go for Tom Raggy Raggy. And um, I defy any of you to vote against it. Um, Phil, which way are you going? Uh, oh, I'm going for a powder keg, Matt. Good choice. Spam? Powder keg. In fact, I've just Googled what ragazzi means, and it means boys, kids, children, young people, teens, students, and lads. Lads, right. Fair enough. There you go. Doesn't... And that didn't swing my vote at all, but I just was on, thought, what does it mean? But there you go. Yeah, so powder yeah, keg. Yeah. Fair enough. Ezra? You better listen. Indeed. Good, good. Um, Alistair. I'm not going to defy you, Brendan. I'll go with Tommy Garcia. Brilliant. Ah, sheep. Ah. <laughs> Still in with a chance. If only it can be swayed by Stuart's vote. <laughs> because uh, but both Max and Michael have gone for powder keg. So Stu's got a lot to do here with this final vote. Which way has he gone? You better listen. How predictable of you, Stuart. How very predictable. Um, so that means the Reckoning, Curious Orange and Powder Keg go through. And um, that's the end of episode 99. So next week, we're going to do 100. We're going to try and rank all them 31 studio albums, if that number is correct. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, Spen, thanks very much for dropping by. Uh, sorry, it was a bit, sorry it was a week early but... <laughs> no delightful <laughs> anytime you're very welcome you're very welcome anytime you like and uh, if you're around next week that would be... next week yeah fantastic I'll happily do that if you'd like me to we would that'd be great so is it is it tracks or albums next week it's gents? going to be the albums it's going to be one of those where you put it where you have your, your like five levels and you we decide what level each of them go in just a bit of fun we've done it a couple of times before with uh, we did halloween songs and we did um christmas songs so we've done it a couple of times it's it's always fun it's a bit chaotic um i'll give so you some we, thought then between because i'm a bit cold on these tracks today so i just got today how are they are they all noggin no, it was good. It's good stuff. Um, um, thanks very much. And the rest of you chaps, have a good week. And uh, yeah, take care. Yeah, it's ended. See you, you later. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Cheers.